everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. I'm Ashlyn Phelps, the communications coordinator at High Point Church. We're still in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, and we're starting to grieve the unexpected loss of many things beyond what we would normally think of when talking about grief. We're going to get into more of what that means and how to healthily and unhealthily grieve during this time. In this episode, you're going to hear from Aaron Hesse, our director of small groups and connections, Nick Gibson, our lead pastor, and a special guest, Lucina Gibson, Nick's mom. As always, if you have any questions from listening to this episode, email us at podcast at highpointchurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right. Hey, everybody. I'm Erin Hesse, and I am on staff at High Point Church. I work with the Small Groups and Connections Department, and I am joined today with Pastor Nick Gibson and actually his mom, Lucina Gibson. Hey, everyone. So do I introduce myself now? Sure. Did you just say yeah. hi? Yeah. Okay. Well, I am Lucina Gibson, and I don't know that I have an awful lot to to contribute. However, I have experienced a variety of griefs over my life, and um, I can share those. Yeah. Yeah. So, so to get at it here, then, <clears throat> the podcast today is about grief, dealing with grief, and ministering to people who mm-hmm. are grieving. And um, Aaron asked me to be on the podcast, and I said, you know who you should have on the podcast is actually my mom. Because mm-hmm. s- since my dad died 17 years ago, my, I, he actually died seven days before my first child was born, Abigail. And in those mm-hmm. 17 years, it, it took my mom a little while to figure out if she wanted to live. And then when she did, she figured she better deal with this. And then mm-hmm. she did what teachers often do, learned a lot about it, like mentally, and then applied it personally. And then since that, she's been in, she's been in and led numerous grief share groups mm-hmm. and had numerous personal relationships with people who had lost people. When she's here, she's one of my go-to people, especially for older folks, people over 60 who lose someone because she just gets right in there and just makes them, you know, like gets right into their life. And a number of, a number of, especially widows at High Point would say very personally that my mom has been integral in them dealing with the grief of, mm-hmm. especially the loss of their husbands. Yeah. So um, I wanted to have my mom on that episode because I think she'll have some really pastoral, really direct, really personal things to say and also well-informed about helping people deal with grief. I also I also want to let me say one more thing before you direct your questions to her. That at High Point we actually we absolutely believe in the importance of prof- the professional class. So people who are professional counselors who deal professionally with helping people with grief, but we also believe that there's not nearly enough counselors for all the situations where people need a listening ear and a real friend and somebody mm-hmm. who can help them. And so friendship ministry is 80% of ministry and professional mm-hmm. ministry is 20% or less, maybe even like more like 5 or 3%. And so us all being ministry-wise somewhat competent in helping people deal with grief is fundamental to the church ministering to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. So Mm -hmm. so one of the reasons why I thought my mom would be good for this is because she is this kind of lay person, informed, listener, friend, doesn't think she's a counselor, but but has helped people a lot. So that's Mm -hmm. why I thought she'd be a great guest and because she has lots of words. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Lugina, did you want to add anything to that as to why you are particularly passionate about this topic? Well, I people have told me that what we did helped. So, and of course it has helped me. So um, I hope that there will be some ways you know, in which I can suggest things that helped me or other people and they can mm-hmm. be applied to themselves too. I will see. Yeah. Well, the the main reason why I wanted to pick this topic to talk about or wanted to have this topic on a podcast was because since COVID-19 situation has started, I've talked with a lot of small group leaders and heard what they're experiencing and also what their group attenders are experiencing. And there is um, a lot of grief that people are experiencing right now. And it's, but it's not from the typical things that you would think of that people would be experiencing grief from, like, um, I mean, obviously people can think about death and, or like long-term sickness, which there are some cases of that happening right now, but there's a lot of other types of grief that people are experiencing. And, um, so I thought it'd be good, Lucina and Nick, um, if, if all three of us shared a little bit about the types of loss that we might, that people are experiencing right now. So, Lucina, do you want to start us off at all? Excuse me. I think that 
what we are losing right now is some um, normalcy, and we are losing our routine and, and freedom. We, we really don't, we can control this. And, and that is a form of grief because there's a loss. Whatever there's a loss, there's grief. And grief is a combination of fear, pain, um, also helplessness. There's a little depression, and there's denial all the way through. First, you think it's, it's going to be okay. This does not really happen. And that all these things recur over and over. And in everybody, there's a different kind of of intensity, depending mm. on the loss, on what it is, and depending on the person too, how resourceful the person is, and how you react to things. I think right now, we as Christians, we feel that, well, this is nothing. You know, we, we're supposed to, to be resilient, God is in charge, and we know that. However, we have lost what, we, what, what empowered us every day our routine and what do we do mm. why we're important and that's a real loss and we have to deal with that mm -hmm. and and i think that the way we deal with any kind of grief you can't ignore it you cannot say oh i'm okay that um, you are okay but you have to address it you have to face mm -hmm. it. You have to verbalize it. You have to say, okay, this is what's happening to me. These are the feelings that I have, and these feelings are okay. But what can I do? What mm -hmm. can I do with these feelings? And I think that, first of all, you know, you should be allowed to, to speak and to verbalize them, to say the way you feel. Because as you do that, you, you acknowledge them, you defeat them, you address them, and you find ways you know, that would help you. And of course, these ways are different for different people. What worked for me may not work for, with everybody else. Mm -hmm. But eventually, if people are allowed to talk and to express the way they feel, they will find ways themselves that, that helps. But you definitely have to address it. You can't ignore it. And don't feel that, oh, you should be okay because you're a Christian and mm -hmm. you're in charge of your life. Yes, you are. In fact, I've been reading my Bible with a different perspective right now. And even when I pray, there's a different intensity in the way I pray because I really want God to listen to me. Yeah. You know, I want him to do something. So it changes everything. Yeah. But you really have to address it, okay? And, and, and you have to see how it is affecting your life. Mm -hmm. um, in our group here, what we're doing, um, the leader will address every single person. And in turn, they tell us, how is their week going? How is their day going? What are they doing? What are the things that work? Mm -hmm. You know, and so everybody has a chance to express themselves. And then they hear everybody else. And so they get encouraged. They get different ideas. And just to talk themselves makes you understand that you're not alone in this, you know. And that does help. Yeah, It, it may seem like it's just talking, but it does help. Yeah, I've as I've listened to leaders and other just attenders in small groups, some of the types of things that people have started talking about are, I mean, like obvious losses, like loss of job. That's been a really common one um, for some people. Um, but even like more of the intangible things like loss of security and relationships, because you're not seeing people face to face or feeling like you have a loss of purpose if you're not living your life the way that you we normally would um, when we were outside of quarantine. Um, I think another one that I've heard consistently is like the the loss of celebrations or loss of closure, like graduations or weddings, um, bridal showers, baby showers, things that feel very normal in the way that we celebrate life have had to be either canceled or postponed. And I think that's affecting people more than, like you were saying, Lucina, more than we want to admit because they're not the normal types of things that we would think about losing. Yes, we were so used to all these things, you know, that, and now that they've been taken away, we feel the loss because we're not mm -hmm. doing it. 
So what you have to do mm -hmm. is, besides talking, is what are the things that you can do? What are things that you can do? Mm -hmm. And some things uh, work with some people and some work with others. For example, I, I have to move, okay? I can't sit for a long time. So what I'm doing is walking at 5.45 in the morning. I wear a mask because we're supposed to, but I, I meet hardly any people. And I see the sunrise by the time I come home. I also exercise because I need to do that. I also found that now that mm -hmm. I have uninterrupted time, I'm writing. However, my creativity mm. and my writing um, you know, productivity becomes a little saturated after a while. So I have to change and do something else. Mm. So, and also I know that for me, it's not affecting me that much because I didn't lose a job, you know. For some people, it may be more important to have a family and some of them are there with their children all the time. Everything has changed. So I think that they mm -hmm. would probably have to try different things and see what can we do, you know, and begin to list things that they can do and try them mm -hmm. and talk to other people and see what they are doing. Because that's how people learn, you know, is talking to other people. With all the research that I did, you know, about grieving, what I learned the most is when the people came and they shared what they had done and what they felt and how are they doing things. And so I think mm -hmm. that maybe people are doing things in different ways that you haven't thought of. And just by sharing yeah. those, you know, they can help each other. Mm-hmm. Nick, since we've been in isolation, have you noticed as you've been counseling with people or just talking with people and seeing where they're at right now, what types of loss people are experiencing and how they are dealing with it right now? Yeah, my general sense is that when people lose their capacity to control their lives via a routine, mm. everything they struggle with gets worse. So um, people that I know struggle with the effects of trauma, I, this kind of isolation has made that a lot worse right now. Sure. Um, I think people who are going through grief related to a death or something like that, you know, being kind of cooped up like this, I think makes it more difficult. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why my mom was talking about trying to have a, just a different routine. Because if your routine gets ruined, right, some people will just go with the flow and just not have a routine. And that's probably right. the least healthy thing to do, right? You have to, but you can't go back to your old routine, right? Right now. Mm -hmm. So you actually have to have a different one and establishing a different healthy routine within the parameters of what you've got is critical. It's really mm -hmm. critical. So yeah, I've, I found that, that um, everybody's problems, whether it's drinking too much or feeling isolated from friends or not being outgoing enough to have people in community in your life or the effects of trauma, on your mind when it's at rest or um, people who are naturally distracted, just want to watch TV or play video games all the time because they're just stuck at home or family problems between people getting worse because they're cooped up in the same house. I mean, you name mm. it, uh, it gets worse without, um, without a routine and when people are cooped up to get together. Mm. Yeah. You know? Have either of you established like a seen a pattern of, typical ways that people process through grief or is it kind of all over the board as far as like like um Lucien, I think you mentioned just acknowledging that grief is happening first um mm -hmm. but beyond that like is there a, a typical way that people walk through grief or no not so much yeah it's universal but it's also it's also personal right it is personal um, it, a lot of studies actually have been done since um and since the, the stages of grief, you know, have been um, established, and there's five stages, there's three stages, there's 11 stages. Um, actually, they're all different for everybody because sometimes I feel that, like, whatever happened, it happened yesterday, even now after 17 years, okay? Um, and I can, I can actually go back to the day when people came to tell me my husband had been killed, and if I really think hard enough, I can have all those feelings right now again. But yet I live my life now, you know, in a normal way. And I sometimes I don't even think about it at all, you know, because I have established a new normalcy. 
Um, also, the, the fear, the fear that, that you hear, you feel this fear in the stomach almost, it's not your heart, it's in a different part of your body. And then that with pain and sadness and helplessness and um, depression, um, they all become one feeling, which is a new feeling. It's there, it lingers until it is very light that you don't feel it anymore. And then all of a sudden you begin to feel all those other things again. But then every time they reoccurs, it's not quite that intense until it will become almost normal. You enter a new chapter of your life and you're a different person actually because things do change you. Mm. And the way you react mm. to things will become different also. Uh, but sure. you, uh, I, no. I needed to process my grief, okay? I really did. I knew I couldn't do it by myself. I prayed to the Lord and I said, you know, I cannot do this by myself. You have to help me. And I went to a counselor. I read everything I could. I, I, I you know, I really was very proactive about, you know, about my grief. Yeah, I think one of the things that's important to recognize is that even in sort of like the loss of a spouse, like my mom has ministered to a number of women who lost their husbands, mm-hmm. but very differently. You know, mm-hmm. uh, in my mom's case, it was very sudden. The news came as something of a trauma. And because of the way the eras of their marriage laid out, it felt like they had just entered because it was like the year after my dad retired. So my mom was hoping that these would be the best years of their marriage. And she had some years she kind of wanted to make up for. And so when she lost my dad at that time, there was an enormous amount of guilt that went along with it, that like this season where she was going to redeem herself was lost. Whereas another woman she ministered to, she'd been caring for her husband in a wheelchair for more than a decade. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, so her feelings were different. Right. So in some ways, even in grief, there's like she was saying, there's lots of different kind of, angles because yeah. whether or not you fear afraid or or whether there was trauma involved in how it happened like if somebody dies of cancer over three years that mm-hmm. that the wound of grief is different than if a police officer shows up at your door and says your loved one is dead you never see it to say goodbye yes right that closure is a big deal right i think that's a really helpful reminder both whether you as a listener are helping somebody else walk through grief or you yourself are walking mm-hmm. through grief to recognize that there's no go-to way to process what you might be experiencing right. or, what, or or assuming what what yeah. how somebody else needs to process what you're experiencing. Yeah. Can I say something about this? I think it'll be worth the price of entry for the podcast for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, give everybody in your life the gift of closure right now. Mm-hmm. Like if there's, think about yourself dying and what you would want to do like what you needed to tell people, what forgiveness you needed to ask for, what things you need to apologize for, what financial arrangements you need to make, what will you need to have notarized, all of that. Think of all of that. Do it right now. Not just the will, but all the personal stuff too, all the apologies, everything. Do it right why? now. Why? Like why right now? Because, well, because A, um, that's your duty in Christ Jesus right? To, to do mm-hmm. what's good, right? It, and so think, uh, Jonathan Edwards, one of his resolutions was to all, often think about the circumstances of his death and the common circumstances that surround death. And of course, in the 1700s, he saw it constantly, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to, to recognize that. The second thing that's part of that is this. I've watched a number of people die of diseases that were supposed to take longer to kill them. And if the doctor says you're going to die in six months to two years, what people hear is two years. Hmm. And the problem is, is that even if you live for two years, about a year and a third in, you can't do this stuff anymore. I recently had a friend die of cancer and he was planning on getting a bunch of affairs in order and appointing people to the board of his organization and doing a bunch of things. And he thought he had time and he had a little bit more time. But the problem is, is that in the last two months, he really couldn't do anything. He was on so much morphine and like, yeah, he had those two months, but not to get his affairs in order, not in his right mind. Yeah. So like you, so the minute, like if you find out you have cancer, like if you don't do it right now, the day you find out you have cancer, you make videos for your kids for when they go to prom and like all of that, mm-hmm. you do all those things. And I had that happen to another guy. He had back cancer. He had a, he had a 100% likelihood of dying. Right. And he's still holding out hope that carried, like the Holy spirit would touch him and he'd be saved. And I said, listen, make video. Cause kids were all young. They were all 14 and younger. He had five children. I said, make videos for your kids right now. Write them letters at different ages, make videos right now, do it this week. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. He didn't. He waited three months. 
And by that point, he just couldn't do it. He was too tired. His mind wasn't clear enough. And he just couldn't. And he, those would have been amazing, incredible gifts to give his children. Mm-hmm. And he knew that they would have been. And he planned to do it. And he didn't. And so I would mm-hmm. just say, look, I've written um, about half of a memoir about my childhood that's just in my Word document somewhere that my wife knows is there. Because if I just die. And my kids are like, what was you and know what was stuff about my dad's childhood that I don't even know about? That's yeah. all lost. And like I've written it down just in case. Because mm-hmm. Helena hasn't heard those stories and my kids will butcher mm-hmm. them. And <laughs> so I've written 35 pages about my younger life that will be like gold to my children if something were to happen to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? So I, so I would just say, um, you can help people with grief. That is people who will grieve in relationship to you. If you take care of that, you tell your kids you love them, tell them that you know you made mistakes when they were growing up. And yes, it was great that they honor you, but they should be honest about the hurts that they felt. And it's okay to acknowledge that you weren't a perfect parent and that mm-hmm. you, you like apologize to people you wronged and just like do all that stuff right now. Mm-hmm. And you will help people immeasurably grieve when something happens mm-hmm. to you. Yeah. If people really did that, helpful. my job and my mom's job as a pastor and her helping people through grief would be so much easier. Mm. Yeah. So, how, like the types of things that people are grieving right now, where it's less, it is less concrete, where it's not necessarily the loss of a person. How, um, how does somebody experience the appropriate type of closure in this? Yeah, in this experience, Lucina, do you have a? A thought on that? I think that first of all, depending on the situation for each person, there are things that they could do. There are things that, for example, if you are a young person, there's a lot of ways in which you can help older people. For example, there are people that go around it and ask old people what they want in the store if they cannot go, you know, things like that. Um, and I also think that I, I would want to use this experience as like, what can we learn from this? You know, because this is new. Now, for example, everybody retired. There's grief there. Everybody is empty nest, and there's grief there. Uh, when you sell your home and you move, there's grief there. But this is something that that you know it doesn't happen to everyone, and it doesn't happen all mm-hmm. the time. It's a new situation, and I think that it might reveal things about yourself that you didn't even know before, mm-hmm. about your friends, about everything. So I think that. I would use that to see, oh, see, what can I do, you know, in, in this time to maybe to make somebody else feel better because you lose a sense of purpose because especially people that they identify themselves with their job, you know, then they don't do their job now. They, they lose a sense of purpose. But there's so many things you can do, you know, for, so that you will, will feel useful. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I would, exp- ex- you know, try to um, look into that situation, you know, and uh, because even I, what I've said to myself is, okay, I've gone through all these different kinds of griefs, but this is new. And I have said, what can I learn from this? And, and of course, mm-hmm. we have to remember that God is in charge. So there's a reason for this to, to happen. I really believe that there's a reason for this. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe we will understand that better afterwards than we, we do now. But if we mm-hmm. are, if we put our mind to the fact that, yeah, maybe we'll get a message from, from God. And I think that we will be more likely to, to wait this out and to have more hope. Because I do have a lot of hope that people will come mm-hmm. out better people out of this. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I pray a lot more, I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. And as I said, I put more intensity into my prayer, which had become, you know, really, oh, let me pray in a hurry because I have to go do that. Well, now I don't do that. I pray mm-hmm. with a lot more yeah. intensity because I don't, I'm don't. i not in a hurry to go anywhere for one thing. And and I really would like the Lord to, to do some things to, to this. And I think a lot of things are happening that don't usually happen in any other time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nick, were you going to speak something <clears throat> yeah, so to the Aaron, you specifically piece? were asking in relationship just to something people call closure. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that um, 
you know, it's easy to be like, well, how would how would someone have closure in grief related to COVID isolation? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but there is a chapter of our life that's ending. The mm-hmm. the pre quarantine, right? And and hopefully this qu- quarantine will end also, and right. we don't really know what's going to happen afterwards. But I think it's important to recognize that closure is not psychologically speaking, it's not something you can make other people give you, right? Mm-hmm. It is it is to be able to psychologically close a chapter for yourself, mm-hmm. where your sort of like your inner self or your primal self or your whatever the the part of you that most that like thinks by feeling. Mm-hmm. sort of reactively and the part of you that that engages in cognition rationally sort of talk to each other and agree on what happened and how mm-hmm. you felt about it and what mm-hmm. it did to you and what will happen in the future and if you're able to feel like you can enter the future with courage and competence and you are are prepared as a human being and are resilient for the things you can't control and you've been honest with yourself about what really happened, usually you can get a kind of psychological closure, even if in terms of the narrative, you didn't get the closure you wanted. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people can get held up by wanting their parents to apologize to them or whatever, get winning, having their day in court or something. And if we wait on those kinds of things for closure in an unjust world that groans under the curse, we, we end up not being able to go through the process of actual healing. And your healing right. and your freedom end up being dependent on other people who Mm -hmm. you can't rely on to give you what you need, especially if that person has just died. (laughs) Right. And that's, that's the kind of closure you're seeking. Yeah. Well, and this is such a timely, well, the, the experience is very timely to be considering grief and how to like, we're, as we're talking about here, the, um, experience closure, because we are apart from so many different people that a lot of, in a lot of ways we can't depend on other people or outside circumstances to bring closure to us. We have to not muster it from within, but really need to ask ourselves and have a conversation with God about what it means to have closure in our own hearts. Um, ultimately, that happens. Uh, but you will have to do the work, okay? The person will does the mm-hmm. work, will do the work. Also, yeah. right now, uh, we can't have closure for this for the grief that we're experiencing now because it's not over yet. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, right. we have just we have to try to to live through this and try to learn as much as we can and do what we can and talk about and face these feelings and do what we can to feel better and help other people. But the closure for what we're feeling cannot happen now because it's not over yet. And Mm -hmm. I think that the closure, it will happen afterwards, especially when we will hear what happened to everybody else and how uh, how people survived. And then I'm sure there will be a lot of stories that people will say about, if this hadn't happened, I would have never known this or whatever, and how they really were resourceful and adjusted and survived it and gained skills for, from this. And then I think that mm-hmm. then we can have closure. But right now we just have mm-hmm. to, you know, have to face it and have to, talk through this and we have to find ways that work for us to make us feel better, trying to make ourselves useful and keep ourselves healthy and active mentally in other ways. And, and we're waiting. We're almost waiting for something to happen and trust God. Yeah. I think one of the things that's important to remember about what people like the, the word closure gets thrown around in popular usage a lot, but mm-hmm. I think it's important to recognize that most people want their pain to stop. And the word closure sounds like that. It sounds mm-hmm. like you're done. And so it's a very attractive psychological phenomenon to think that you want to pursue. But I think one of the things that that um, my mom was getting at here is when she said, well, she didn't say it quite this way, but you, you, you don't actually pursue closure, really. Hmm. You pursue really engaging with the real grief that you have, right? Through through right. The, through cer- a certain number of steps, through cert- through being honest with yourself, through acknowledging what you're really feeling actually actually feeling the pain and dealing with the pain mm-hmm. at some point it gets better to the point where you get some resolution and relief and when you get past it far enough sometimes you can tell yourself a story backwards 
that brings like a story of meaning to what happened. Sometimes you can see enough or you can understand things, you know, like as a, as a parent now, there's ways that I look back at my father's behavior and it makes more sense to me than it mm. did when I was a kid. Sure. Right. And so I can, I actually can close certain chapters of wondering why did my dad behave that way? Because now as a father, I go, Oh, he was probably feeling this and this and this that I'm feeling now. Oh, that makes sense. I may still not have liked it. It may have, may have mm-hmm. hurt my feelings, but it, but I make it, I, I, the story is more complete and I feel like that, that loop kind of closes, but I, it's really important to recognize people want freedom from their pain. They want their pain to be over right now. And so something called closure sounds very attractive. And what I'm telling you is it's not the thing to pursue. The mm-hmm. thing to pursue is simply healing progression through your grief, through feeling it and being in it. If you try to get out of it through experiencing something called closure, what you're going to do is repress it and call it closure. Right. And you really didn't open it and you really didn't experience it and you really didn't heal. And so you're going to get it again and it's mm-hmm. going to sneak up on you and it's going to manifest itself in your health and it's going to give you feelings of anxiety and depression and stuff that you don't understand. Because at least with pa- the gr- pain of grief, if you face it, at least you know why you feel terrible. Right. But if you try to repress it and be like, I'm fine. I, I accept it. Like, like you just look at all the like stages and you're like, I did. I, I don't deny it. I accept it. I'm not going to bargain. Look, I've grieved. Yeah. That's not really how it works, buddy. Right. You know, that, that's the worst thing you could do. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I've done that. Yeah. I've Cause I mean, I'm trained in this stuff. So I'm literally like, okay, this is a tragedy. I, I have grief. Okay. What are the stages again? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not going to deny it. Cause that's a thing. I just won't do that. So I'm past that already. You know what I mean? Like, I, I literally mm-hmm. remember, remember getting the phone call about my dad dying, right? Mm-hmm. I'm in a car. I'm driving. It was I was actually in Wisconsin. I didn't live in Wisconsin. I was driving home from a river in West Wisconsin, and I talked to this guy on the phone who's a family friend, and he told me my dad had passed away. And I, I hung up the phone, and the first thing that came to my head was, okay, the first thing people do when they get news like this is they deny mm-hmm. it. So I'm not going to. Yeah. I accept it. Right. And like mm-hmm. on one level, that's, uh, that felt very clever and it felt very efficient. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's still kind of like, you still don't really accept it like in your yeah. heart. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, it, and it takes time and a lot like actual, like you were saying, it's time and space and it can't be forced to like mm-hmm. experience the, whatever grief you're having. I think people are struggling yeah. with that right now because there's all this time, but but we're used to rushing and needing to get things over with and get on to the next thing. And so it yeah. sounds like your response was yeah. very American <laughs> to just yeah. say, okay, Sometimes get you over can this. fix a thought in, in one minute, but mm-hmm. you, you really can't fix emotions in one minute, right. just like you can't heal a wound in your physical mm-hmm. body in one minute. It mm-hmm. just takes some time for the things to work. And grief is grief takes as long as any healing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a deep surgery. Because something yeah. really, you've been cut very deeply. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and it's not even that you know you can say, "Well, that's it. I re- I reach closure now." You can never say that. You will just realize that your life is going okay. That happened to you was part of your life, mm-hmm. and then now you've processed it and and you accept it and 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 you re- and new you and new time in your life. And yeah. um, it doesn't mean that that didn't happen and that you. Not sorry anymore that you don't miss your husband. You know, it just means that you are ready to go on now. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I just I want to clarify because I, I know there there's a couple counselors that listen to this. Closure isn't even technically a category usually discussed in relationship to grief. I just want to make sure everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. Right, that's not um, a category. But, you're right. But psychologically speaking, people hear that popularly, and they go, they go, oh, I, I want to get closure and. It turns out, popularly speaking, the way people use that category popularly is one of the worst possible things psychologically because everybody mm-hmm. wants to be out of their pain. And so usually mm-hmm. closure has to do with like dysfunctions related to high childhood relationships or like events that happen, things like that in therapy. And so I just want to I just want to clarify for those listening that I know that's the case. You're right. If you were thinking that mm-hmm. now we're going to move on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean somewhat along those lines of things that are helpful or not helpful to say, if mm-hmm. you are helping someone go through grief, grief, what yeah. are things? Yeah. Very clear examples of things that you shouldn't do or say, if you're trying to help somebody grieve or for yourself, things that you shouldn't say or do. 
Well, <clears throat> I think that in any in any grief and in any situation, people should not give advice like, "Oh, well, do this or do that," because it what works for you does not work for anybody else. And you think you may know how you feel, and you may, you think you may know how the person feels, but you really don't. You never do. So I think that the best way to do is to listen to the person all the time. Listen to what the person has to say. Encourage them to talk, to express themselves, to, to, to tell them what the situation is. If you do have something that can directly help the situation, that's different. If you can give them information or something that could be helpful, that, that it is matter of fact, that's fine. But other than that, it would probably help to just have the people talk, express their feelings, and uh, and have them find, you know, what would happen, what would what would help them, what do they think would help them, invite them to think about it, and and they will. You you will see that, that and at the end of a talk like that, I think the person will be helped. Okay, because just the, the fact that they could. Um, talk to someone and verbalize what they're feeling, that in itself, it is a big help. Mm -hmm. um, people don't give enough importance to that, but let me tell you, it is. I remember when I went to every flight to see my counselor, I have no idea how many times I said the same things. And she sat there and let me say the same things over and over again. Mm. And and I always felt very, very much helped. But then I realized that she had just allowed me to say it hmm. and didn't actually yeah. say anything because she said there's nothing to say. Like my hmm. best friend would come over, Carol Basel, she'd come over and she'd cry with me. There was nothing else. She said, I could not find any words to say that would make hmm. me feel better or you. So we just cried together. Hmm. You know that's um, yeah yeah yeah. That is the most that is the most therapeutic thing is when people feel their emotions move you because they feel so much and they feel like it's they're alone. And I, I think also one of the big things is you know if you work with grief, you do learn some pieces of advice to give in that training. Like it's very common when somebody passes away after a long marriage, for example, that people will give that person the advice, don't make any big decisions for six months to a year, right? That's mm -hmm. advice, but it's, it's informed advice. You know, mm -hmm. the most important thing to do is don't make stuff up. Like most mm -hmm. of the time when people stick their foot in their mouth, they go to a funeral, they go to a wake, they go see a friend that something has happened to them and they don't know what to say, but they feel like they should say something. And mm -hmm. so they make something up to say. That is usually the worst possible thing. So just don't. Mm -hmm. It's fine to say nothing. It's fine to say, I'm so sorry for your loss. Um, or so-and-so was a great person. I just, I, I enjoyed them so much. Um, something very simple or nothing. Or I don't have the words. I'm sorry, I don't have mm -hmm. the words. Um, but it's usually when people are nervous and then they say something out of their nervousness. Or if they're religious... And they mm -hmm. feel like to not say something dishonors God. And so you got to say something that vindicates God in this loss mm -hmm. because the worst thing would be to dishonor God's glory, right? And so you say something like, you know, I'm sure God something. And you like give some kind of, you say some kind of thing, sometimes even true, but not timely, not seasoned. It's not the time. Right? Like when, it's not when Job's friends that. came to see him, they, they shut up for a week, right? They mm -hmm. sat with him for a week. And then they started to say really dumb things, mm. but they actually had, at least had earned the right a little bit to say really dumb things. Right. Because you, you got to remember when people have a really big loss, the natural thing that happens to people, unless they're really in control of their pride is it really feels like they're alone in this and no one has ever experienced anything like what they've just experienced. Mm. And so everything you say, even the truest, most sentimental, most caring thing sounds stupid and trite and unfeeling. Hmm. Right, you you say you can you can have lost your own husband and say I know I know how you feel, and that person is thinking no you don't mm -hmm. you have no idea oh, how dare exactly. you say that mm -hmm. right because there's this you just kind of go into this little cave and you're like and so you can be like God has a God still has a wonderful plan for your life and they'll be like what do you know stupid mm -hmm. trite religious idiot 
Mm-hmm. A week ago, they would have been like, absolutely. And mm-hmm. a year later, they might say, absolutely. But mm-hmm. especially in that first week or two months or whatever, before they've turned some of the first corners, everything you say, even the most theologically sound, truthful thing just sounds idiotic and mm-hmm. trite and stupid. Like you don't feel anything. You haven't really emotionally entered into my experience at all. You mm-hmm. jerk. And yeah. so if you cry with something, that's great. If you listen, that's great. If you say, if you admit you don't have anything to say, you know what I mean? It just, it's yeah. usually, that's usually better. Now, if you, now, if you find somebody, if you hear a grieving person moving strongly in a direction over time, that is, is really leading them into a really bad place spiritually. At some point you have to say, I see this happening. Hmm. It's really dangerous. Cause it's not going to help you heal. Mm-hmm. Blame, like blaming God for this isn't going to help you heal. Mm-hmm. How long are you going to shake your fist at this guy about this? Right. You know what I mean? Like at some point you yeah. got to do that, but not, you don't do it at the wake, you know, at the funeral mm-hmm. or the week after mm-hmm. you let them, you let them try to sort it out for a while. Yeah. So in this experience right now where again, it's a lot, a lot of interactions are happening over video chats or phone calls. And mm-hmm. again, it's not necessarily having to do with somebody, a person dying in some cases that might be the case, but a lot of times it's the loss of these other kind of ambiguous, intangible things. Um, I, I think what both of you have said in, in that grief is very complicated for every person and that we can't just fix it. That sometimes entering in to help somebody else grief, grieve means to simply be with someone to, to allow them there, to keep talking. To yeah. To them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the lower the grade of the grief, so to speak, the more likely it is they won't have any idea they're grieving. Yeah. So it's very common for like men to lose jobs and it to devastate them in grief and they don't even know they're grieving. Mm-hmm. There are people who lose spouses and don't know they're grieving. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that there are a lot of people, a lot of awesome Christians out there that they may be feeling, gee, you know, we should be stronger in this. We shouldn't feel, you know, we know God is in control, but we are human, though. Don't forget that we are human and we are not perfect. And even Christ, when he was human, he had moments when he was most human. So it is okay to feel in all these feelings. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean yeah. that you're not a good Christian. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. that you're not a strong person. Um, you are a strong person yeah. if you will acknowledge it. You will face them. You will solve them. You, you will just um, process yeah. it. You know, you go right through it. You can. You don't avoid. You don't deny it, and you don't feel like you should be a super person because you're a Christian. Because we're mm-hmm. all human first. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You know, one of the one of the biblical examples of this in John's Gospel, of course, is when Lazarus dies, and. Mm-hmm. In, a, in another story about Mary and Martha and Lazarus, um, you know, Martha's working really, really hard and Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. And, and the picture kind of gets painted that, that Martha kind of loses her way in her serving. And like mm-hmm. Mary kind of is spiritually and emotionally kind of like right on sitting at Jesus' feet. In the story of Lazarus, Mary runs up to Jesus and says, if you were here, my brother would not have died. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of ways to take that. You could picture her sobbing and saying it just very sympathetically. You could also picture her sobbing and saying it very angrily. Mm-hmm. If you had been here, my bro- like, like we sent word five days ago, like they sent word four or five days before Lazarus died and Jesus was within a day and a half walk mm-hmm. where he receives, he could have been there before Jesus right. died. And he didn't come. And Mary knows that they sent word and she comes up to Jesus and she says, if you were here, my brother wouldn't die, wouldn't have died. She's crying. And it, the Bible says that Jesus response to that was that he wept. Mm-hmm. He didn't correct her. He didn't say now, Mary, that's not very theologically accurate. She, right. he, he just cries with her. And then he talks to Martha and Martha's like, I know he'll rise on the last day. And Jesus is like, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will mm-hmm. live even though he dies. And so Martha says something like she, she's grieving in a very different way. She's, she's doing the whole, like, I know my theological truth. She's you know, Martha to the end. Like you can see it, the stability in her character in the book of John. Right. And, and Jesus answers her differently because she wants to speak about the theological truth that's helping her deal with this. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus expands it dramatically. Right. So he mm-hmm. gives her a theological answer because she stated something to her theologically. Mary emoted and Jesus emoted back. Mm-hmm. 
And so I think it's important to recognize these things for what they are. When people emote, you emote. You know, if Jesus doesn't correct people's theology, when he's being personally accused by somebody who should know better, who yeah. sat at his feet and heard his teaching, then you can relax a little bit and give a, mm-hmm. give it a minute. And li- you got to you got to listen about a hundred times more than you talk mm. in the first stages of grief. So if you want to yeah. tell somebody a theological truth, just fine. Just picture yourself talking for thirty seconds. Multiply that by a hundred, right? And that's how many seconds you should be listening to them first, mm-hmm. which is I don't know what that is. <laughs> a lot, three hundred, <laughs> three thousand seconds divided by sixty. I don't know how many minutes that is, but it's a while. Yeah, yeah. a lot longer than you know. we are normally used to listening. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you agree with that? Any... Who? Yes, I agree with that. <laughs> she's she's nodding. You can, the the people who are listening can't see nodding. So. Yes. yes, yeah. I agree. Um, do either of you have any closing thoughts on get, words of encouragement or exhortation to those who are helping others through grief right now? I'll give my mom the last word, so I'll say mine first. I, ju- I just think getting in the game and loving people is the most important part of healing. So like she was saying, just listening to people. Um, I think the, the other tip I'd say is whenever somebody passes away, um, I go to my calendar. I put in one month, three months, six months, nine months, and 12 months mm-hmm. from the loss. And then the two-year anniversary and then the anniversaries from there out in a, in a recurrence mm-hmm. on my calendar. So every widow who loses a husband hears from me a month later, three months later, six months later, a year later, nine months later, a year later, they get a, usually a handwritten note from me or a phone call. And I'll say, mm-hmm. I just want, and usually this is what I say in the note almost every time I say this. It's been three months since so-and-so passed away. I wanted you to know today that I remember him and I remember that you're grieving. And I want you to know that I am infinitely more forgetful than the Jesus who stands at the right hand of God advocating for you. Mm-hmm. He has not forgotten a hair on his head, nor a single tear that you've cried. Mm-hmm. Right. And I just send that note. I just want them to know that, you know, because usually by the third month, people have stopped sending things. People have right. pretty much forgotten. People think that you're, you know, you're getting over it and they're just starting. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, I think that especially if somebody you loves, I mean, I would mark those out and I, I would, you know, call people. Mm-hmm. I have several, yeah. I have several friends who, who lost people that, you know, it's, 15 years later, 20 years later. And on the anniversary, the day before the anniversary, I call them, I send a card and they're like, you're the only one who still remembers my lost my dad. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in my whole life, my, my siblings don't even acknowledge my dad died, mm-hmm. you know? So it, yeah, just, it makes not, a huge difference. Being thoughtful about right. that is, makes so much difference to people. Right. You're not fixing the situation. You're not throwing a theological truth at them. You are simply no. acknowledging. It, I see you and I know right, where you're at. Or I understand that you it's are. It's the story of Hagar. You are the mm-hmm. God who sees me. Mm-hmm. Like she's starving in the desert. Her son's about to die. And the most important thing to her is that she's not, that God sees her. He knows that she's there. He sees everything about her and that that changes everything. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Lucina, what about you? Any closing thoughts? Uh, well, um, I, I think that what Nick said, you know, is, is true. Um, the only thing is, you know, th- this loss, we, we don't really know. Um, the situation that we are, are dealing with now is not a loss of a person. That, that that's very different because it gets worse sometimes, and then it gets better. But, but here, I think that we have hope. Okay, I think that we have mm-hmm. to have to hope that that things will be better. And I think that probably we have to concentrate on the hope and do the best that we can right now. And I'm sure that we will. Uh, be recounting what we learn, you know, mm-hmm. and how we got to know ourselves and and how we got to know the people that are really our best friends and all of those things. And that eventually will be an event that, that we will not look at like so disastrous as we do now, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think this, some of us will be stronger because of that, because I find myself, you know, finding things that that I can do and to go around things. You see, it is so different than when I lost my husband. There was nothing I could do. Mm-hmm. And he, he had gone and he was not sick and not being wounded and he was dead. Uh, you know, so there's not a thing I could do. There's mm-hmm. things we can do in this situation and there is hope. Mm-hmm. So it's very different, okay? 
Yeah. There's a lot of aspects, a lot of aspects of laws, okay? A lot of different ones, a lot of little things and big things. But they all leave us with hope. And so that makes it very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's good. Yeah, if you haven't heard well, the High Point Sermon from, I think it's six weeks ago now, what you can take from COVID-19, um, the premise of that sermon was COVID is going to take from you. Mm-hmm. What, what are the ways that you can take back from it? I think that that, that was designed to be helpful mm-hmm. um, because this is one of those pains that if you if you receive it, um, it can transform you. And, and that's mm-hmm. true of grief, even the loss of a person, even in, in death. I know people who have grieved well and it's completely changed them as a person. It's changed and transformed their character. Mm-hmm. And deal, when they're dealing with death, they realize they had other weaknesses and other things. You know, people who lost their dad realized that they, their dad was everything to them. They relied on them entirely. They didn't even know who they were. And through their grieving process, they became themselves. Like there's, and I think that that's true for this, this COVID-19 thing. Certain things have been stripped away. Our lives have been artificially simplified. And we have to find ourselves in this different situation. And the more environments you have to find yourself in, the more you realize what is the core of who you are. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to realize you either like that or you don't. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, then it's time to do something about it. And if you if you do, then it's time to add to it and grow more yeah. and, see, and seek to flourish in the new environment. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I just want to personally thank my mom for being on the episode. Mm-hmm. Thanks for doing this. We had to try to get you in from California. It took about 40 yeah. minutes to get all the tech <laughs> stuff right. So I know that you probably had a lot more words too. To having two people with torn and cost of blood on a single podcast is probably not fair to listeners, but um, <laughs> this is the best we could do for now. So thanks mom for being on the podcast. We appreciate it a lot. Yeah. Oh, I, I love to do this. I love to listen to your voices and, you know, for oh. me it's therapeutic. <laughs> I don't know that I, you know, had an awful lot to contribute, but I think that that was good to talk. Yeah. 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 Thank yeah. you both well, that's for the contributing. Podcast. People can fast forward them and listen to them at 3.0 <laughs> or turn them off. Right. So, that's right. Um, thanks for doing this. And um, we'll see all you guys next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.